mindfulness mode. Now I know why this young girl can't do it. Mindful Tribe, we often talk about the inner bully. We talk about that voice in your head. We talk about how to exchange that voice in your head for a more powerful, more confident voice. And basically, that's what we're going to be talking about today because we're talking about head trash. We're talking about dumping head trash, getting rid of it, getting rid of it once and for all because head trash is the leading killer of human potential. I've borrowed the subtitle from my guest book and I'm here with this fabulous guest. I'm just getting to know her, just having met her and I'm really excited about this because well head trash is really what we talk about when we when we discuss mindfulness because we have to get to the bottom of this, this inner voice that is that is just sabotaging us. So she's written this book and she's right here, Rini Cavallari. I'm so excited to talk to you, Rini. Are you in mindfulness mode today? I am in mindfulness mode today. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Rini, right now. (laughs) That's wonderful. Rini, what does mindfulness mean to you? Well, mindfulness for me is actually the quieting of all those voices in your head and allowing you to really gain some, I think, peace and clarity at the same time for me. And so when I think about um, mindfulness, I think about the things that decrease that that, that self-sabotage, that head trash talk. And in doing those things, it helps me find mindfulness. Oh, that's great. And uh, I think it can help so many people because you've put that book out into the world and that's that's awesome. You've put a lot of other books out into the world too. Tell us about the first book you wrote. Well, the first book I wrote was a little bit of, a, of an entrepreneurial opportunistic book my firm Aspire had done research on girlfriend getaways with uh, um, AAA and American Express and the three organizations collaborated and identified that girlfriend getaways was a billion dollar business. And actually I was approached by John Gray, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. And he said, I have the scientific data of what happens for women when they come when they come together and i had more of the emotional data of what happens when women come together and so the first book was um the girlfriend's getaway guide and it was just a fun little book that really captured the essence of why we should get away as women and then also how to do it because we're all so busy and how can we just get it done and enjoy ourselves in the process. So it was kind of this, John John literally interviewed me and said, you've got to write this book. It's hilarious. Please write this book. So I just wrote the book and I had been writing, and, but I had never published. So I had, I had written many books. I was a great writer. I don't know if great, but I wrote a lot. Let's just put it like that. But I wasn't an author because I hadn't published. And so once I published that book, then other books just started to pour out of me, um, primarily in the area of leadership. And Head Trash is really about self-leadership. Right. And then you have a series of books, Aspire 2. 
Tell us about your series. Yes. So Aspire 2 is, well, the name of my firm is Aspire. And so these were really books that were focused on helping leaders align their organization. And so Aspire to Be, which was really about mindfulness, um, but that wasn't a word out there. And it would have been way too fluffy for my audience uh, because, you know, it wasn't it, it wasn't that powerful leadership tactical thing. It was more of a state of presence in mind. And then Aspire to Lead what, um, is about the six pillars of intentional leadership, which actually are what help leaders align organizations. And then the last book of the series was Aspire to Shine. And that's really about how do you bring forth um, the beauty of your organization, the power of people when they're when you've helped them turn on their motivational switch. Tell us about your firm, Aspire. When did did that happen? When did you put that together and what motivated you to make you do it? So I had an offer to become a partner in a firm. Um, this was literally 28 years ago. And I, I was so um, proud and it was such an honor. Uh, yet something inside of me was stirring. It wasn't right. And I asked to think about it over the weekend. And now think back 28 years ago as a woman being offered a part to be a partner of a, of a good size firm was really, you know, a stunning accomplishment. And I went home over the weekend and I couldn't sleep. And I really tried to settle into like, what is wrong? What is wrong? And it, it came to me that this wasn't what I aspired to do. And it was what all my mentors and the people around me, it was what everyone else thought I should do. And it, I believed it was what I should do, but it wasn't what I really truly wanted to do. And I walked in on Monday and said, I'm giving notice. And they said, what are you gonna do? And I said, I don't know, but something's bound to come together. And 27 years ago, I started Aspire. It's powered by Aspire. And we have been working with leaders and organizations to really awaken potential in human beings. And when you awaken the performance of people and you awaken their, their mindset, not just their skills and their processes, but their mind, their performance improvement impacts organizations in unbelievable ways. So they gain the beauty of confidence and contribution and living to their potential and their organization gains all that they can donate and give to them. So in the early days, did you spend a lot of time coaching? How did you get this message across to those leaders? Well, in the beginning, it was really, I was a strategist. And so we were doing a lot of strategic work it was very humbling as a strategist to understand that creating a strategy and identifying a brand growth or whatever we were up to doing, which was always about growth, which meant change. Growth is change. It's just the nicer word. And to get people to change really was a bigger issue that was far more difficult and complex than identifying solid strategy. And so I became literally obsessed with how do we help shift human behavior so that they can feel confident in, in making change and in growing you know, new skills and new habits, et cetera. And so we started studying human behavior uh, and really what it would take 
to shift. And it was very humbling because I got into operations. This was actually the last job I had before I started Aspire was in operations. And that was when the humbling moment came that, you know, all this strategy isn't anything if you can't get it done and you get it done through people. And so that was really how the firm started to lead into the power of leadership and what alignment and engagement really meant to getting strategy executed. So would this have been easier for you to, to accomplish had you been a male? What were some of the challenges having Ooh. been a female? Well, you know, it's so funny. Um, there are times where I reflect on being a female um, at, because I was excluded. So I never golfed and, you know, I did actually, I have scoliosis. Golf was not a sport that was good for me. I was an athlete, but it, it hurt. And so I didn't golf. And so many business deals were happening on the golf course. You know, I wasn't out, you know, I did work on Wall Street. I wasn't a big partier. Lots of things happened, you know, after six o'clock. And so in a lot of ways, I missed out on those kinds of opportunities. And certainly, you know, uh, harassment and things like that were a reality in, in my world growing up in corporate America in the 80s and 90s, for sure. But I honestly had a different mindset about it. Um, I, I remember someone, it was my, my boss's boss's boss, he owned this company. And it was in 1989. And he had observed me in a situation where someone was, you know, harassing me and I was uncomfortable. And he said to me, just ask them what they would feel like if this was happening to their daughter or their mother or their, a friend of theirs and say it in a way that they can have it. And so it was a really empowering way for me to be able to navigate, like it changed my mind about it. Instead of feeling victimized by it, I really felt powered by saying, you know, well, what was that like? You know, what would that be like? And it decreased the emotional stress. And that's what head trash does. Head trash increases our emotional stress. And that increase of emotional stress wipes out our mindfulness. And how can we say things that need to be said in a way another person can have them? And that's really what my boss's boss's boss was saying to me at the time. And it was it was so powerful. But I would say that, you know, yes, there are many things that can get in your way of where you want to go. But it's how we decide we're going to go and the tenacity. And I think that was probably like one of those God given gifts that I got upon arrival was I was just tenacious. I had desire to see the world, to explore people. And that's just stayed with me my whole life. And I think another one of your God-given gifts is compassion. Let's talk about compassion. How do you apply that to your life? Actually, one of the six pillars that we identified, and by the way, we reviewed, we modeled over 10,000 leaders to come up with these six pillars. It wasn't just kind of you know, it was research-based and pillar three is compassion. And to me, compassion, um, well, it starts with love. I always move from love. And when I can, you know, I interviewed a gentleman who was the head coach of Navy, um, of the Navy football team. And it, Ken's last name is escaping me. But I remember when I was interviewing him, I said, what is it that gets 
these men to play full out and win, knowing that they're not going pro. They're going into the Navy. Like, how do you do that? And he said, I lead from love. And I thought, here is this tough guy with tough men doing tough work, and he leads from love. And so compassion is really that ability, in my opinion, to speak to people and to be with people in their place and to have that kind of understanding. It goes beyond empathy. It, it's the ability to really live not judging another person. And I got to tell you, I work on that every day. There are days where I am questioning my skill of compassion, you know, my muscle of compassion, because I'm in full judgment of a situation. And I think COVID has brought that out on us. Uh, the media, social media, it, it moves us out of our nature of compassion. And I think by really being able to decrease our own head trash, we're compassionate to ourselves. And being compassionate to ourselves is hard sometimes because we're judgmental. Yeah, we are as humans. And I'm right there at the top of the list. <laughs> you are, we absolutely are. In your book, you also talk about own it, shift it, dump it. Can you elaborate on that? What's, what's the, the action that we have to take in order to fully own it? Yeah, so first we have to understand that we have this head trash. And so it's as simple as like being aware of it. It's the mindfulness of the head trash. Because once we're aware of it, then we can start the process of shifting it out of it. You see, our head trash lives in our emotional brain. We have a physical brain, of course, that, that runs our body. But we also have this emotional brain and it runs our life. Our emotional brain determines how much joy we have, which in my opinion is the ultimate definition of success. How much joy. So I can look at it every single day. What's my joy net meter be looking like today? And so when we can understand that in our emotional brain, we have two sides. We have the connected side and the disconnected side. The connected side is where positivity, joy, happiness, our ability to collaborate, our ability to create, to problem solve, to get to really get to where we want to go. We're on the connected side of our emotional brain. That's where our power is. The disconnected side is where our weakness is. It's where negativity lives, worry, fear, self-doubt. And of course, head trash is the voice that really keeps us in that disconnected side of our emotional brain. So the goal of life, simply put, Bruce, is to spend as much time as possible on the connected side of your emotional brain. So once you own your head trash, you can shift from your disconnected side into your connected side. And there's a number of ways to do that. Well, I'd like to hear them. Tell us, <laughs> okay. tell us about some of the ways to do that. Okay, so simple ways are environment. Like your environment can increase your emotional stress or decrease your emotional stress. So when you're in the connected side of your emotional brain, you have low emotional stress. That low emotional stress gives you clarity and clarity allows you to take productive action. It's that simple. So environment, the second area is who you hang with is who you become. So if you're around people that are sucking your energy, and we all have those people in our life, we have to learn how to navigate that. 
sometimes eliminate that. Sometimes we can't because it might be someone who is in our family and we have to do things that allow us to accept and stay back in that compassion space. But the single most important way to shift is to really look at the questions you ask yourself. You see, the quality of your life isn't just about the questions you ask because it's more about the quality of the questions you ask. So if we ask ourselves questions like, why did this happen? We're gonna stay in the disconnected side of our emotional brain. You know, who did this? How did this happen? Those types of questions keep us stuck. I refer to them in the book as stuck questions. And you can also go to dumpheadtrash.com and there's stuck questions and then shift questions. The shift questions are like my favorite shift question when I'm not being my best self is who do I wanna be right now? Or what's the first thing I can do to make progress here? Or uh, who can I lean on to help me through this? So when we start asking ship questions, you know, we change our perspective and we start to move into action that's productive versus being stuck in that negativity or fear or whatever is holding us in that disconnected side of our emotional brain. So those shift questions are so important to really improving the quality of our life because we feel the way we think. F comes before T. I feel the way I think. And so it's those questions that trigger how I'm thinking. Right. Yeah, that sure makes a lot of sense. Thanks for elaborating on that. It's it's really awesome. I want to ask you, Rini, what was the biggest challenge that you have ever faced in your life? <laughs> it depends what day. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the biggest challenge. Wow. Well, I think it, um, during COVID I, was a huge challenge. Uh Early on, well, first I got COVID in January of 2020 and no one knew what it was. And they, they could see a mass in my lung. They tested lung cancer. They did every kind of test. And I honestly, Bruce, it was the only time I'd ever contemplate, like, am I going to die? I, I, I had coughing that was really uncontrollable. And I, I didn't really know I had that until July when I found out that I, of course, had antibodies and, and et cetera. But I think what happened for me in, in COVID, so it was progressive in, in March of COVID when it was, you know, okay, it's here in America, there's no denying this. I had to lay people off for the first time in 25 years. It was my 25th anniversary of Aspire. Oh, wow. We had never lost money and we had never laid people off. And, you know, I think life, the human, you know, when we're humbled, when we're taken to our knees, whether mm -hmm. it was in January where I was questioning, like, you know, have, have I left the legacy I want? And are my, is my family, is everyone going to be okay? And then also my business was falling apart. Then I recovered and my business was falling apart. I, I have to say laying people off that did not deserve to lose their jobs that um, it was that was excruciating for them and for me because it aspire culture was at the heart of our success how we worked 
how we played together, um, how we supported one another. We lived the six pillars. We did our best, not always great, but our best. And so that was really difficult. And then as the year progressed, you know, losing money, and then we doubled down, we, we donated. And that's really how we got into mindfulness, how we recovered. We did over 83 free speeches. We coached over a hundred individuals in helping them lead. So we were able to give, and I think this is an important part of head trash. When we, and mindfulness, when we're in gratitude, when we give, it decreases our emotional stress. And that's really what we were doing. We were giving, you know, our clients were primarily in hospitality and senior living. <laughs> there was no getting out of that. I mean, that was, a, it was two industries that were decimated during this time. And so it really allowed us to, you know, work um, with a sense of purpose and not be in fear and not allow our head trash to take over our world. Well, as well in 2020, you were awarded a very, very prestigious award, a Lifetime Achievement Award. Tell us about the feeling when you were awarded that Im impressive award. Yes, that was um, from uh, an international TV award. And um, it, it, to this day, it's still humbling. Uh, it was, a, honestly, it was a celebration with my team and all the 24 five years of people that I've worked with and clients too, because they made us better all the time. But, you know, it was this kind of surreal. And um, I still am not really uh, very, honestly, very present in it. Not that I don't value it, uh, but it's almost, um, it's like, I, I, I'm too young for a lifetime achievement award. <laughs> and, um, and uh, it also inspired me to make sure that I keep doing more um, and 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 striving for more. And uh, at that at that time, actually, I was writing head trash, and I had to stop uh, because of COVID. We had to with so much other work to do. But it ended up being the gift because we were able to study head trash with those leaders at that time. So yes, it was it was amazing and I'm grateful and uh, it inspired me to keep moving. Well, congratulations on that Thank wonderful you. award. I want to talk to you about bullying because as you know, I've worked in that field for quite some time. Do you have a story you can share about this topic of bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? Yes, well, Fortunately, mindfulness, uh, it wasn't called that at the time, but I had certain practices that I certainly um, was committed to in what I would say was decreasing my emotional stress. But my daughter was bullied um, in eighth grade. She uh, was, you know, a gifted speaker and she won literally the national speech tournament um, and was, you know, number one. She was doing amazing things. And, you know, I think one of the foundations of bullying is jealousy and that sense of that if another person doesn't feel whole, then they need to bring other people down. And she, as she went into ninth grade, uh, she really experienced uh, what I would call jealousy, which came out as bullying. 
um, and by one girl in particular, but one person. Um, it went. It was social media. It, you know, it it was a lot, and um, it was a really amazingly uh, difficult time for her and for me, because as a mother, you have to step back and. There's, you can't control everything. And I think this goes back to, you know, what we started with today, which was love. And how can you love and how can you show, uh, you know, appreciation and find ways to decrease the stress. And uh, it was at that time that I shared with my daughter my practice of journaling. And I actually use a joy journal, but it, it was a practice of how do you get it out of you? How do you get... The, the fear of it, the sorrow of it, the anger of it, the, the wrongfulness of it, and still be who you want to be. And that question of who do I want to be, even though others are, you know, um, because bullies tend to look for other bullies. And so that sense of isolation for her. Um, I also introduced her to meditation at that time. And uh, it was a, a meditation that really helped put you in gratitude for what you had. Uh, you know, I've been a guided meditation person. That's my practice. I have way too much noise in my head. I need someone to move me into that sense of mindfulness uh, versus my doing it alone. I can do it through breathing, but I can't sustain it through, <laughs> like I breathe into it, breathe into it, I'm doing well. And then I go, gosh, I'm doing well. <laughs> 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 so I kind of need a little help. But Bella um, and I really were able to, um, I actually had someone come and teach us um, together. Um, it was really more for her of how to meditate. And they came to our house. And, and then I think the journaling is still something that she values today. I certainly do it every day. And then as a mama, you know, I really tried to just find ways to be supportive and be together um, help her explore other ways uh, um, and other places of friendship. Um, but it was hard and it was humbling. Um, and, you know, as I think back in my own life, I didn't experience bullying, but I was kind of a unique bird. And so I had lots of circles of friends, but no real intimate friends. Now, a portion of that was, I think um, I lost my brother at a very young age. And so intimacy was a real uh, disconnect for me, you know, how close can you get? Um, because people just leave, you know, I was four, he was 18 months old, you know, it, it, it's a hard thing to learn. And so mindfulness and meditation and really becoming still with myself, um, became a really important part of how I found intimacy in my own life. So for me, it was uh, interesting to reflect on my own experiences when I was uh, working, you know, and, and supporting my daughter in her own bullying experience. Yeah, that must have been quite a challenge. It sounds like it was it was really difficult at the time. Yes, you know, it, it was also, you know, I tried to meet with the mom, you know, we were at a function and I said, let's get together. You know, this is the chance to teach our children about kindness. This is the chance to teach our children about, you know, acceptance and, and diversity, you know, that we can be different and still be whole. Sure. Um, and she, it, it broke my heart because she said, no, my daughter doesn't want me talking to you. And I 
I remember it was like a bit appalling at the time. And at the same time, I thought, wow, if the adults in the room can't do it, now I know why this young girl can't do it. It explains um, it completely. It, it, and um, it, it, I, I wish I could say that I left judgment behind, but I had to work through that. You know, I, yeah. it, I wasn't like, oh, wow, I get this now. I, I <laughs> right. was kind of, you know, ticked off. <laughs> I can believe it. I can believe <laughs> so, it. Yeah. You know, but it, it was a, it was a difficult time. And, and I think, uh, you know, my daughter in a good kind of roundabout way, when she went to join a sorority in college, ironically, one of the people in her sorority wanted her in. And the reason was this person's sister was bullied at the same school and Bella had reached out and was always friends with this young lady who was a couple of years younger and was always kind to her and helping her. And what a beautiful circle of what kindness really does, right? And it was such an incredible lesson for my daughter that you're just being who you're supposed to be. You're moving from kindness. You're not expecting anything in return, right? The ultimate gift of gratitude, of helping. Um, another being. And here it came back in spades because she was accepted into a sorority and where then she could have the gift of friendship, which she had missed out a lot on in high school. That is a beautiful story. And I'm so glad you shared that, Rini. That is really, really beautiful. Now, you mentioned already that your website is Dump headtrash.com so mindful tribe check it out dumpheadtrash.com and definitely get your hands on this book called head trash the leading killer of human potential as we move forward in the interview Rini, i want to ask you five quick answer questions so just just 30 second answers are perfect the first one is this who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life deepak chopra yeah. Wow. He's had such a such an influence in so many people's lives. That's for sure. My second question is about how mindfulness has affected your emotions or how you have maybe changed about the way you deal with your emotions. Any comment on that? I think I um, look to communicate more effectively uh, through mindfulness that when I notice head trash or notice fear or worry or those anxiety emotions that are creeping up, that I do something with them. And it usually means I need to communicate with someone um, in some way to decrease the stress associated with it. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Well, breathing is a really good thing. So, you know, even just starting today, you know, a nice deep breath in and letting it out for me, just it gives me a sense of power in my body and, and clears my head. Um, when I go to bed, it really helps to decrease that emotional stress. It's, you know, it goes back to that model that I shared. When you decrease emotional stress, you gain clarity and that allows you to take productive action. So even if the productive action is sleep, it just that that breathing allows me to decrease. It allows me to just step outside of whatever is going on in that crazy brain of mine. 
I'm excited about your book, Head Trash, but are there any other books that you would recommend in this topic of mindfulness? So this is not the traditional answer, Bruce, but The Four Agreements is an amazing book. And for me, it's where I go back to. Um, and so when I, when I am in those agreements, I'm my best self. And then my mindfulness really is at its peak. Uh, so that's for me. And also, I like, you know, there's four agreements. I can remember those four things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's a, a very powerful book. Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, it's one of those books you read it every year. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I remember the first time I read it and I was so impressed. Yeah, the simplicity of it. And in particular, like, don't take things personally. Like that, that one agreement, it really helps me because I think when I take things personally, it's usually because it's not good. And then I'm not, then it gets, it gets me stuck in that disconnected side and no mindfulness lives in the disconnected side of your emotional brain. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Let's talk about apps. Are there any apps that you use or recommend that can help with mindfulness? So I love the, the Chopra app. Um, I, I love that app. I also, um, the, there's the Insight Lab app. and um, Insight gentleman, Timer. Insight Timer, yeah. Gentleman, Jonathan, he does a morning meditation. And it's like seven he identifies seven things that help you be in gratitude. So if I'm feeling a need to get into gratitude, <laughs> as in I'm not in gratitude, I use that app. Great suggestion. Well, it's been really exciting to have you on the show. And I want to ask you as we finish up the interview, if you have any final words of advice for our listeners, maybe there's someone listening who really feels they could use more elements of mindfulness in their life, or maybe they're struggling in one way or another, what word of advice would you say to them? Start your morning that way. I think the habit of mindfulness for me is before I even get out of bed, I meditate and then I journal and then I do yoga. And that allows me to get to the connected side of my emotional brain. And that's how I start because my nature is I'm crazy. I'm moving and shaking. I've got so much energy. You know, my father used to say, we need to package this and sell it. And so for me, this allows me to really find peace and be like focused on what really matters most. Wow. I have appreciated having you on the show so much. Thank you, Renee, for sharing your wisdom. Thank you. I appreciate the time, Bruce. All the best to you. Bye now. Bye. Hey, Mindful Tribe. Thanks for being here today. I have something for you, and it's regarding the 12 must-read mindfulness books. You know that I always ask guests if they recommend a mindfulness book, and so I put together... uh, a digital copy. I put together a little ebook, really. It's a 14 page ebook, and it features the 12 must read mindfulness books that are featured on the show. So it's the most recommended books on the Mindfulness Mode podcast. And these books have been recommended by a lot of different guests. And you can download a free copy of this ebook 
by simply going to mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books. So with that, take what we've learned today, Mindful Tribe, to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.